Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Christy and I am a recovering, recovered compulsive overeater. Today is August 7th. Today we are reading from the Big Book and we are at page XXX. Today's readers are Melanie, Amy, Marsha, Judy F., Eddie, Deb W., and Paula. The reference number for August 6th is 2815. The OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Amy to read the 12 steps. Amy, can you press star one to unmute? Uh, beg your pardon, I forgot to press star one. Good morning, okay, my go name ahead, is, Amy. Thank you. Good morning, my name is Amy. I am a compulsive overeater. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12, Having had a spiritual awakening, as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy. I will now call on Melanie to read the 12 traditions. Good morning. Um, my name is Melanie. I'm a compulsive overeater from Minnesota. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for a group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, 
a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need to always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. And I'll pass. Thank you, Melanie. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. Today, we resume our study of the big book. We're on page XXX in the fourth edition, page XXX. And the paragraph we are on, let's see, three, four, five. It's the fifth full paragraph down, and it starts with all these. I will ask Marsha to begin reading. Good morning, everyone. It's Marcia from St. Louis. I'm a compulsive overeater. Recover today. Thank you, God. All these and many others have one symptom in common. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. I've stopped there for just a moment and talk about what the phenomenon means as far as the dictionary says. An occurrence or fact that is directly perceptible by the senses an unusual, significant, or unaccountable fact or occurrence, a marvel, that which appears real to the senses, regardless of whether its underlying existence is proved or its nature understood. 
Uh, for many years, uh, developing that phenomenon of craving for me was, uh, I, I never understood what it was. I just knew I couldn't stop. And it is absolutely a phenomenon, completely unexplainable, other than the fact that it is a fact. Um, and it goes on to say, this phenomenon, as we have suggested, may be the manifestation of an allergy which differenti differentiates these people and sets them apart as a distinct entity. It has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. I believe that this really is the crux of the whole doctor's opinion. Right there he gets to, okay, the only, the only thing that we can do, the only thing that we can do is to stop what we're doing with the food. Entire abstinence for me means entire abstinence from my binge foods, my killer foods. I have to stop putting them in my body if I don't want to continue to trigger that phenomenon of craving. And this is the hardest part when we're trying to come out of this food fog. And, and this is the only thing that we can do to stop that, that forward momentum into the cycle. I had to stop eating, bringing that food into my body and triggering that physical allergy that would cause me to eat and eat and eat and eat and eat in order for me to start working the steps and start getting into uh, getting out of that cycle. Um, it is a phenomenon. It is an absolute. These the, the, these alcoholics had a terrible time trying to figure out what this was. I mean, I, I thought I knew what I was doing. I'm an intelligent person. But this this allergy, this this, this abnormal reaction to was what I never could understand. Um, and it set us apart as compulsive overeaters from the normal eater. Uh, to watch a normal eater eat a, a particular binge food that, that I couldn't control uh, was absolutely enlightening as a as a teenager when I finally watched how people ate and I I could not understand how somebody can eat a couple of bites of this particular binge food and then push it away. It's an absolute mystery to me how they cannot consume it like I could, uh, and it and it does does set us apart. We are a distinct entity from normal eaters. This allergy sets us apart. And we can never eat normally or eat that without triggering the phenomenon of craving. For most of us, it's sugar and uh, uh, so many other so many other uh, binge foods that that are not necessarily that. But still, the only relief there is to me is entire abstinence from that binge food. That's the only thing that keeps me sane, other than working the twelve steps and staying in connection with my higher power. Um, this is the most important paragraph, I think, in the doctor's opinion. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. And that means entire. Entire is complete. Uh, entire is having no part excluded or left out, whole, without reservation or limitation. Entire abstinence. I must not have these foods in my food plan today or tomorrow or for the rest of my life. I know we live in today, but 
I must, I must be abstinent in order for anything, anything to work for me in my life. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Marsha. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? It's Deb from Michigan. Okay, uh, I've heard Deb from Michigan and Jana. Thank you. Good morning, A Vision for You. Good morning, everyone. I am thrilled we are here again this morning. It's just absolutely amazing, the big book, and especially this doctor's opinion. But the the um, particular sentence that I want to um, hone in on is, it has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanently eradicated. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. You know, that, that word eradicated, I want to bring out the um, definition of that and um, – it says removed, completely destroyed, or removed from existence. Man, those are really, really, <laughs> I mean, intense words, um, completely destroyed. Um, and I have to remember this is coming from a doctor's opinion. And I love how it says right here, the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. Absolutely. But it doesn't stop there. And I just want to say how important it is that, once I put down that food and I'm no longer touching it, I don't at all, even one little teeny tiny bite, put it in my mouth. I still have to follow it up with these, these steps because otherwise I'm going to be a dry drunk. I'm going to be, I'm going to be um, you know, still insane because that monkey chatter is still going to be going on in my brain. And, and, and if I don't have that God of understanding in, in my heart working in my life, I'm still going to pick up eventually. It may take me 25 years, like it talks further in the book, in the big book, but I'm still going to succumb to it if I don't have that uh, follow-up with my higher power. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Janice. Go ahead. Thank you, Christy. Thank you. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. All right, doctor's opinion. All these and many others have one symptom in common. One symptom in common. You know, Dr. Silkworth has been educating us about all the different types of people that he saw with this phenomenon, that suffered from this phenomenon. You know, he he told us about the psychopaths. He told us about the manic depressive types. And then he told us about people entirely normal in every respect. You know, able, friendly, intelligent people, which I always thought myself one of. But what did we all have in common? If you are a compulsive overeater like I am, this may be the one symptom, the one symptom we all have in common, that we cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. Meaning, once I ingest that trigger food into my body, I have this phenomenon that occurs, this phenomenon that occurs. It may be, he tells us, the manifestation of an allergy, an abnormal reaction to those foods. And that, they are instructing me, will be with me forever. That will be with me forever. That phenomenon, that physiological phenomenon that happens to me every single time I ingest those trigger foods, For me, sugar, fat, flour, volume, I will have this phenomenon, and it sets me apart. It sets me apart from the normal eater. 
And it was good information to have, I tell you, good information to have. It explained something that here I had not known before, that this was part of a physiological allergy that set me apart. And he is saying in all the many years that he had worked with chronic alcoholics and alcoholics who could dry out for a little while but would always, always have this phenomenon. It could never be permanently eradicated, he says. And when I found that information, when I was instructed, when I was educated that this is what was wrong with me, it was good information to have because it explained something I could never have explained myself. And it was coupled with a fatal belief. It was coupled with a fatal belief that, that this was something I could overcome using my mental powers. <laughs> but it was not. You know, it was not something I could overcome. The only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence. And that is going to free me from the physiological allergy of the body. If I don't ingest them, I will not set off this phenomenon. But remember, it's coupled by the fatal belief, the greater aspect of my disease, is that I have this belief that this time it will be different, that somehow it's something I could overcome. So good information to have here because it sets the foundation for everything that comes after. And thank God we have Dr. Silkworth's doctor's opinion coupled with all the experiences of those 100 recovering alcoholics and all the experiences that Dr. Silkworth had to identify this phenomenon for us. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? Hi, this Good morning. is Janice. I'm sorry. I heard a couple of voices, but I didn't catch any names. I think it was Kim and then Leah. Oh, thank you so much. How about Kim? Go ahead and then Leah. Thanks, Christy. Hi, everyone. My name is Kim. I am a recovery compulsive overeater. You know, they cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. And this gives us, makes us a distinct entity. You know, we have this disability, you know, and we need to accept this disability. You know, and I had a friend in high school that was actually totally colorblind. He only saw shades of gray. And he didn't realize it because he assumed everyone else saw like he did. It wasn't until he got into, like, primary school and started painting the grass purple and stuff like that that teachers started to recognize that he, he was different. He, he had a, this disability. And he had to learn, or his mother had to actually teach him, he, all his clothes had the color of the clothes sewn into it. And he had to learn that red and blue and green and what colors went with what colors. He had to accept that disability and do what he needed to do so that he could, you know, do what he needed to do in the world. You know, I remember saying to him, well, so at night, how do you tell the difference on a traffic light? How do you know? Because you don't know what's on top and bottom. And he said that, was, that wasn't the scary part. He couldn't tell the difference between a street light and a traffic light, you know, and that's what it is. We have this, this distinct entity. We have this problem. We have to learn to accept this disability. We have to learn the boundaries around this disability, whatever it is. It might be different for everybody. Our binge foods are going to be different. The boundaries we need around our food need to be different. But once we get to that point that we know we cannot 
start eating without developing the phenomenon of craving. Once we understand entire abstinence, we have to accept that disability. We have to do what we need to do. And that's never going to change. But we can flourish. You know, this gentleman, once he understood that he had this disability with being colorblind, once he understood what he needed to do to, um, to accept his disability and get along in the world, he flourished. And that's what's so amazing about this program. Once I accept my disability, once I understand I have the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind, and with God I walk through these steps, I not only can be, you know, I can become better than before I, had, I even knew I had this disability. And that is the absolute miracle of this program. And with that I pass. Thank you, Kim. Go ahead, Leah. Thank you so much, Christy. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. They cannot start drinking without developing the phenomenon of craving. And again, craving in the context of the big book, the only way an alcoholic can crave alcohol is to first put it in his system. Then the phenomenon of craving develops. So I have to be careful about the terminology. Craving means... uh, only way that the craving can happen is to first put the substance in in the alcoholic's body or in my body. And Dr. William Silkworth, yes, he was the first physician to fully understand and put into words what an alcoholic's problem is. Because in his work with alcoholics, Dr. Silkworth found that when an alcoholic took even a little bit of alcohol into his system, the switch turned on inside his body, and only one thing did that alcoholic want to do, and that was to drink more alcohol. And it differentiates these people and sets them apart from a, as a distinct entity, and indeed that's true, because normal, the normal reaction of drinking alcohol, when people drink too much, they get nauseous. Alcohol is a toxic substance. It, it destroys human tissue. So for most people who drink to excess, if you put something in the body that's going to destroy it, a normal person will get sick. A normal person will puke it up. That's a normal reaction. For the alcoholic, this physical craving demands more. The allergy of the body is that this phenomenon of craving develops and the alcoholic wants to drink more. Well, so... Two with someone like me, a compulsive overeater. Now, it's not as simple of a process. The alcoholic is allergic to one substance, and that's alcohol. I had to understand that there are a number of substances for me personally that, that this happens, where I, my body is triggered. My body is triggered, and I have a phenomenon of craving, an insatiable appetite for more of the same. I have to understand that. And whereas a normal eater will say, you know what, this is too rich. I've had enough. This is too sweet. And they will push their plate away. Someone like me, who is different, I'm in a distinct entity because I have this phenomenon of craving, I will continue to eat. I will continue to eat. It doesn't matter that other people might get sick. I have this insatiable appetite for more of the same. And when it says here the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence, what that says to me is it does not matter what day of the week it is, 
I have this allergy. It doesn't matter if I go on vacation, the allergy comes with me. It doesn't matter if it's a holiday, the allergy's with me. It doesn't matter if it's my birthday, I still have this allergy. It doesn't matter if it's the greatest day out of the year, I'm going to have this allergy. It doesn't matter if it's the worst day, I am allergic, and I have to accept that. It's just like I have blue eyes. It doesn't matter if it's Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, blue eyes. It doesn't matter if it's my birthday blue eyes, vacation, I'm vacationing with blue eyes, you know, and that is my reality, and I had to accept that, and I could fight it, and I could delay it, and I could defy it, and I could deny it, but the reality was, I was not going to get able, be able to pursue the objective, which is to be recovered, if I was not going to accept this, and eliminate those binge foods, as difficult and as mournful as that separation was. I had to understand that this allergy of the body was never going to go away. And if I wanted relief from this phenomenon of craving, that meant separating myself from these substances. As difficult and as tearful as that was at one point, I had to accept that. I had to accept that. That powerlessness consists of this as well, allergy of the body. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Well, I'm Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I'll jump in here. Um, and you'll hear me say this more than once. This is one of, I'll say this is one of my favorite paragraphs in the big book. Um, you know, 17 years ago today, August 7th of 1994, was um, when I darkened the doors of my first Overeaters Anonymous meeting. And, um, you know, at, at that meeting, I was not introduced to the doctor's opinion. I was not introduced to the doctor's opinion. You know, what I was introduced to is um, the idea of abstinence. And um, for me, you know, if I were to read the only relief we have to suggest is entire abstinence, what I did is I spun around on that word for years. I spun around on that word for years because what I heard was you have to be completely abstinent, like the alcoholic is abstinent from alcohol, the compulsive overeater must have to be completely abstinent from food. They must have to be abstinent from food, which seems so ridiculous to me. How can I, a person who needs food for fuel in her body, how can I be abstinent from food? And I spun around like it was a philosophical question or something. How can I be abstinent from food? I don't understand that. An alcoholic can put down alcohol. A heroin addict can put down heroin. How does Christy... How does Christy put down food? She needs food to eat. And, and like I said, I spun around on that for years, for years. You know, I, um, you know it wasn't until um, literally for me, 2001, September of 2001. You know, I mean, I was in the OA rooms for five years. I, you know, tried to throw um, diet, food plan, you know, changing every day, every minute, you know, on a whim my food plan, um, I was able to eat moderately, you know, for a period of time, always picking up, you know, I, I did all kinds of crazy things, and I sat in the rooms, and I said, you know, having a little trouble with the food today, um, and then I, I couldn't stand saying that anymore, and I left, you know, it's like, I can't do this anymore, this is ridiculous, this is getting me nowhere, in fact, it's worse now, it's worse now, because I've got a head full of OA and a belly full of food, and I can't stand it. And I left. And it wasn't until I got so desperate that I came back. I came back in 2001, and I was introduced to the doctor's opinion. 
What does that mean? Entire abstinence from foods that give me trouble. Foods that give me trouble. Foods that I am triggered by. What is that for Christy? For Christy, that is sugar, fat, flour, volume, eating behaviors. You know, I can't be shoving food into my mouth as though I haven't eaten for a decade, um, you know, if that food is quote-unquote healthy food. I can't just sit and eat bags of carrots, which for normal people might be healthy, but, you know, I, I can just, I, you know, I'll just, I'll just eat. I'll eat, I'll eat, I'll eat, you know. And what does that mean in that entire abstinence? Does that mean one granule, one little grain of sugar? Does anyone know how small a grain of sugar, a granule of sugar is very small? That hits my taste buds, and I am off and running. And I'm not kidding. And I know some of you who are on the line with me this morning understand that. You understand that. And the doctor's opinion understood that too. Even though this is written for alcoholics, what it presents to someone like me is, what it presents to someone like me is you must be entirely absent from those foods that give you trouble. And once I, once I took that in, once I ingested that information, once I ingested that information, the rest of the big book unfolded for me. It unfolded for me and my recovery was off and running. It was off and running. And I have no desire, absolutely no desire, 17 years, finally, 17 years, you know, and, and for me, September 9th of 2001 is my abstinence date when I put those foods down and made the big book, the pages of the big book come to life for me, come to life for me. And if it can happen for someone like me, it can happen for anyone. And with that, I will pass. Is there anyone else who would like to share on what was read? Anyone else before we move on? All right, I will ask Judy F. to read the next paragraph, please. Good morning, Christy. Good morning, fellow OAers. My name is Judy F. I'm a recovered compulsive reader from Massachusetts. This immediately precipitates us into a seething cauldron of debate. Much has been written pro and con, but among physicians, the general opinion seems to be that most chronic alcoholics are doomed. So, wow. <laughs> Here's the bad news. But it's actually good news, as we'll see um, from this. But what I see when they um, say the general opinion of most physicians seems to be that most chronic alcoholics are doomed is that we're powerless. There was no human aid. Nothing could help a chronic alcoholic. Um, from from their experience with their education and their their skill set. And there's nothing that I could do. There was nothing that my doctors could do to, to so that I wouldn't keep picking it up and um, being you know, a doomed compulsive overeater. And, yes, it, there's still a lot of debate um, in a way about, um, oh, you can work the steps and then, then you'll get abstinent. And for me, I needed the entire abstinence. And I needed to truly accept that I have an allergy to flour, sugar, 
volume and um, some other substances, um, and that when I pick up just one, I cannot stop because the phenomenon of craving then um, then is followed, and I, I just can't stop. And so this is just saying in writing, these physicians, this doctor is saying that physicians have admitted that chronic alcoholics are doomed, that they can't help them. And as we'll see further on, that it's a, only a spiritual solution. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you so much, Judy. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? This is Paula, may I share? Sure, Paula, go ahead. Thank you. You know, the, the paragraph before, we've seen the grave nature of this disease. And there it tells us how we're different. Well, here we come to the next paragraph, and it tells us how we're the same. Because it says clearly, seems to be, and this is the general opinion, that most chronic alcoholics are doomed. Now, they're not going to give you a time frame here. For some, you may last longer than others. And I don't know if that's to your better or to your worse. But here it does clearly say, most chronic alcoholics are doomed as we are. And then we go on to read the difference also in a life. Thanks for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? Hi, this is Kim. Kim, go ahead. Good morning, everyone. Again, my name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive over here. This immediately precipitates us into a seething cauldron of debate. So what is that? The idea of entire abstinence. You know, back in the, in the 20s and 30s, they had a lot of things called temperance societies, which are people that tried to you know, um, only have a couple beers, only have one scotch, you know, because they felt the problem wasn't the drinking. The problem was they were getting drunk. Just the way we think the problem isn't the food, the problem is we're fat. You know, so we get divided over over um, how can we manipulate the outcome instead of looking at the cause. You know, at this point, I think there's 12 12-step programs regarding food. And that's because we're all divided in how can we control the symptoms. You know, I mean, 12-step programs are, for, are over many, many different disorders. And the only difference is step one. The solution is steps two through 11, which is getting us back to God. And step one is telling us we have to put down our substance. So we have to identify what that substance is, and then we have to have entire abstinence. Because the problem isn't that I was 50 pounds overweight, 60 pounds overweight, maybe 30 pounds underweight. Maybe I was a normal body size and I was binging and purging. The problem is that I was a distinct entity that I had that phenomenon of craving and I had the obsession of the mind. So these immediately precipitates us into a seething cauldron of debate. But once we identify what those binge foods are, we have to put them down. Because it is only when we have entire accidents that we have the clarity of mind to understand that we're powerless, to look for the power, and go through this process so that we can be returned to sanity. So we have to know what that problem is, and this is what the beauty of the doctor's opinion is. It's recognizing that we're powerless, that we, you know, I think one of the biggest issues I have or biggest things I see happening in L.A. is we're all willing to put the food down until we get to go eat. And then once we get to goal weight, we think we can become a normal eater because all the doctors, a lot of nutritionists tell us it's calories in and calories out. 
and a little bit of exercise, and we can maintain our weight. And if we were not compulsive overeaters, that's a really good formula. But the problem is that once we start picking up our binge foods, the phenomenon of craving happens, and it doesn't matter. Calories in, calories out means nothing to a compulsive overeater. So if we do not get that, the general opinion seems to be that most chronic alcoholics are doomed. So we need to recognize the problem and we need to be beaten into a state of reasonableness so that we can then be open to the solution, which is the rest of the steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? Robin, go ahead. Uh, Good morning. This is Robin. I'm a compulsive overeater. Um, This immediately precipitates us into a seething cauldron of debate. Much has been written pro and con. Um, You know, there is so much information out there now for us compulsive overeaters. There's, I mean, we're the heartbreak of the medical community because people can't just, they just can't figure out what to do about us. And there's such a huge, huge population of obesity. Um, And, you know, there's a lot of thinking about this. There's a lot of debate going on. There's just, you know, there are articles everywhere. There's the siren call of bariatric surgery now. And we know, we know that doesn't work. We know it won't work. If, if you're like me, if you've been doing this for 40 years, when I think of all the different methods that I've tried over the years, it really is true. There is nothing out there that the world can offer me that works in the way a spiritual um, solution does. And it, 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 for me, it boils down to understanding that I have to listen to a specific uh, group of people. <laughs> it's like all the TV. There's so much TV that I could watch, but I need to narrow it down to maybe one or two shows because there's just too much out there. I am a sensitive person, and if I have too much um, stimulus, too much stimulation in my life, I get confused. And what what our book is telling us here is that, you know, listen to the voice. Listen to the spiritual solution. Listen to the people who um, have found a solution and make it work. And the way we make it work is by, you know, banding together and finding the spiritual solution. Um, I I think such a huge thing for me has been in, in the process of my recovery is learning how to focus on the book and now not be preoccupied or, um, distracted by the outside world. And as the years go by, we're going to hear more and more about different medical things that have come up that might, um, you know, make me think, okay, well, I'll try that now. I don't think so, not for me. I've tried everything. And we're finding here, the doctor says to us, there, um, um, it has never been by any treatment with which we are familiar permanent re- permanently eradicated um, and I you know I watch my friends who have had bariatric surgery come back and the heartbreak of going through that kind of physical um, change met, uh, the financial aspect of it but also the, the the physical changes that people go through to try to make some kind of um, you know healthy abstinence happen when it's not in the body it's not in the body and with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Robin. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? 
This is Lois. May I share? Sure, Lois. Go ahead. Hi. Good morning, everyone. Yeah, when I when I read this, that um, the general opinion seems to be that most alcoholics are doomed. You know, I had heard that before, and I read that before, but it it didn't apply to me for so long. You know, I had been in OA for ten years and in another program, and I had um, read the big book, and um, I had read it and read it, but I never saw it, and I never felt it, you know, and it wasn't until I was, I had been, you know, trying to get abstinent, staying abstinent, losing it, staying it, you know, feeling the personal agony of not being able to make it, seeing other people in OA just seemed to be able to, you know, work those tools, and it worked for them, and they had 25 years of abstinence, well, that wasn't for me, and I, I, you know, once again, you know, I didn't feel at home in, in, in the rooms of OA. You know, I, that, that didn't work for me. And I, I heard about the steps, and I, I, I had done the steps in another program, but I, I never really heard and knew what, what the doctor's opinion said. You know, I never knew what my problem was, you know, that I had, I had a physical allergy which creates a, a mental obsession and that nothing, nothing on this earth could, could, could help me. I had to succumb, I had to accept that fact down in my deepest self, you know, and, and I, I wasn't able to do that. I didn't know how to do that. And then I was willing to do it, but for some reason I think I kept asking God to do it. And then he didn't do it, you know, and I didn't know what was going on. He did it for other people. Why wasn't he doing it for me? So I'd pray for the willingness and the ability but it didn't seem to come, and it wasn't until I started a big book step study, and we did, you know, we, we went over the doctor's opinion word for word and word for word, and, and I heard it, and I was abstinent a, a short time again because I know I had, you know, I, I just happened to be, you know, I believe that was the grace of God came into my, my heart and my life and my mind then. I was abstinent maybe a week or two, and I heard that. I heard the doctor's opinion. And, and I, I heard that, I learned that the solution was I had to work the steps. Well, I had worked the steps, you know, superficially for quite a long time, and I wanted them. They, you know, I believed in the, the spiritual principles that, that we promote. And, but for some reason or other, at that moment, God was in my life, um, and I heard that, and I understood that in order for me to stay abstinent, I had to work, really work the steps, not just wait for God to show me how to do that. But I had to take action, and it was the action of doing the steps. So what, what, what happened as an overview when I look at it is I did get a sponsor, and, and I, instead of focusing on how bad I wanted to eat, I started to focus on how to, how to implement this step with the, with the help of a big book step study sponsor. And that was the beginning of my abstinence for me, and it was the biggest gift, you know, I, I get really sometimes choked up when I think about it. It was the, the grace of God helped me at that moment to know that this was what I was missing. And so I begin to work these principles and these steps every day in my life. And, and surely, you know, like the big book promises, I became abstinent, I stayed abstinent, I, the steps became a working part of my life daily and still is today. And I am a recovered compulsive overeater, and I'm very, very grateful for that. And um, I just wanted to pass on the hope that uh, this too can open for anybody who's, who's, you know, who's trying as well. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. 
Thank you, Lois. Would anyone else like to share on what was there? Anyone else before we move on? All right, I will ask Eddie to please read the next paragraph. Good Eddie morning. Thank you. Go ahead, Eddie. Sorry, <laughs> Good morning. My name is Eddie. Uh, I'm a compulsive overeater, uh, recovered by the grace of God today. Uh, what is the solution? Perhaps I can best answer this by relating one of my experiences. About one year prior to this experience, a man was brought in to be treated for chronic alcoholism. He had but partially recovered from a gastric hemorrhage and seemed to be a p- case of pathological mental deterioration. He had lost everything worthwhile in life and was only living, one might say, to drink. He frankly admitted and believed that for him there was no hope. Following the elimination of alcohol, there was found to be no permanent brain injury. He accepted the plan outlined in this book. One year later, he called to see me, and I experienced a very strange sensation. I knew the man by name and and partly recognized his features, but there all resemblance ended. From a trembling, despairing, nervous wreck had emerged a man brimming with self-reliance and contentment. I talked with him for some time, but was not able to bring myself to feel that I had known him before. To me, he was a stranger, and so he left me. A long time has passed with no return to alcohol. Um, This um, doctor's experience with this man is um, something that um, I, I think is probably um, being a medical professional myself, not experienced a lot in medicine. Um, I, I worked in an institution uh, for years. We specialized in um, heart surgery. And part of our program was that uh, when patients came in and were evaluated and determined that they needed surgery, they were, if they were overweight, and many of them were, they were sent home to um, lose weight. Part of the problem was, you know, that we we didn't uh, want to do surgery on someone who was, you know, chronically obese. And so we would send them home and tell them to come back in 6 months or whatever um and to lose x number of pounds while they were while they were out there, you know, sending doing their living the rest of their life. Um and and they'd come back for surgery and, and most of them came back at the same weight that they left. <laughs> so, uh you know, for a doctor to say that um you know in the previous paragraph how it seems to be that you know chronic alcoholics are doomed, um and that's a very very difficult thing for most physicians to admit that they can't, you know, do something about a problem. But here was this man um who had bought into this program um, that all of a sudden uh, he came back and the doctor said, well, who are you and, and, and what's your name and do I really know you? So this must have been an enormous um, revelation, you know, that was going on in the, in the world of, of, uh, of alcoholic treatment in those days because I'm sure that this almost never happened to these people. And, um, and I know that I, I meet people today um, that um, I have moved recently and, and um, in the last four years, and um, many of the people I meet today don't know my history. But when I encounter someone, when I go back home for visits or something, and I encounter people that knew me, quote unquote, in my previous life, um, and they look at me like, you know, who are you, and what did you do with the real Eddie, you know, and and that's that brings me, you know, a great deal of of um, 
I don't know, pleasure is not the word I'm looking for, but, um, you know, delight that, you know, somehow or another these people have seen the change that I sense within myself, but, um, you know, it, it, that I am, that it's able to be seen by others that, you know, makes me validate the fact that this program really does work for me. With For me, this is like the answer, the only answer that ever uh, worked for me. And um, so I can, I, I really relate to this, what he's saying, that he really never knew this man. He felt like I really never knew this man when he came back because he probably didn't. Just like, you know, I, I, I'm sure there were people out there that really didn't know me. And I'm sure that there's plenty of people in the program that I really don't know because, you know, they haven't gotten there yet. But the grace of God will, will prevail, and, 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 and um, hopefully they'll get there just as I got there. So if it works for me, it would work for you, as I've heard many times said on this line. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Eddie. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? Hi, this is Melanie. Melanie, go ahead, and then I think I heard someone else. Judy? Judy, all right. Melanie, go ahead, and then Judy. I wanted to share a personal experience that compares to this story right here, the whole thing in general, in my own personal life, in my own home. Um, About a year and a half after um, being in recovery, I had um, lost some weight. That was certainly one aspect of it, and um, I was out shopping with my husband, and I can't tell you how many times he walked right past me because he did not recognize who I was. Going from almost 300 pounds to 120-something pounds, he didn't see me. He was looking for that silhouette, that image, and that was quite, um, quite a big laugh for he and I because that continued on for some time. But what I really like to look at now is in our life is that my husband has come alive again. The amount of sickness. When I came in here, they talked about um, a hemorrhage. I had um, been, I was agoraphobic, not leaving my house, not bathing, not taking care of my children, not feeding them. And he was away working, and he would have to come home to all of this when he would come home. And that absolutely affected him and oppressed him to such a degree. And I'm telling you, he's coming alive as a result of that, and our life has changed absolutely dramatically. He is not the same person that um, that he was before I got into recovery, and that's the, one of the greatest gifts that I can never tell you. He is alive and he's well, and our, and our relationship has never been better. And with that, I passed. But I just wanted to share that funny quip that he didn't see me, and we just laughed and laughed over several times with that. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Judy, go ahead. Thank you, Christy. Um, So what I see in this paragraph um, is the transformation that we um, can attain um, with our higher power and the program of recovery. And that, um, you know, one, there was an elimination of alcohol. So, um, you know, full abstinence, entire abstinence. And then that um, he accepted the plan outlined in this book. So there's the acceptance, and then the plan outlined in this book are the 12 steps. So it's not just putting down the alcohol, putting down the binge foods. It's also acceptance of the recovery plan of working the 12 steps. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. Would anyone else like to share on what was read? This is Janice. Janice. Monica. Okay, Janice, and then I heard I heard Monica, but I heard someone between Janice and Monica, I think. That would be Paula. In between. Paula, thank thank you so much. Okay, so Janice, Paula, and then Monica. Go ahead, Janice. Thank you, Christy. Thank you, Christy. 
So what is the solution? I love when the big book presents us with a question because it will follow the it will follow with the answer. And the doctor is explaining an an experience that he had and who this man was that he could not recognize and what happened to him. What happened to him? The first thing that I see is he frankly admitted and believed that for him there was no hope. So like me, this man, desperate, doomed, doomed. There was no hope. Hopeless, helpless, doomed. But he was also done. Desperate, doomed, and done. You know, he frankly admitted and believed that for him there was no hope. And then put down the alcohol. Following the elimination of alcohol, there was found to be no permanent brain injury. So he got clean. His body got clean. His mind was cleared. The fog was lifted that the alcohol, alcohol was causing. And then what happened? He accepted the plan outlined in this book. He embraced the solution. Clung to it as if his life depended on it. Worked the steps. Used the tools, I like to believe, to, to convince himself that this is who he was and what he was up against and was utterly transformed, renewed, restored, rehabilitated, had that psychic change, that transformation. And what happened as a result of that is nothing short of a miracle because he was unrecognizable. He was unrecognizable. And that's there for all of us, for all of us. So if you are coming in like me or came in like me, desperate, doomed, and done, and done, the solution is here for us. Thank God, in the doctor's opinion, he showed us by this experience that here was a man utterly transformed, and we can be too. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Jana. Paula, go ahead. Thank you. This is Paula, recovered compulsive reader. And I, and I saw also that I knew the man by name, so the name was the same. It didn't seem like there was too much else the same there for me. And he partly, now he did partly recognize his features, but there all resemblance ended. Why is that? Because it was more than the outside. You see the transformation was from the inside out. And then we go back down to, and I just thought this was, I talked with him for some time, but was not able to bring myself to feel that I had known him before because he wasn't the same as before. And he was seeking that out, and he realized that. To me, he was a stranger. Yeah, there the transformation, as was spoken before, was complete. And so he left me. A long time has passed with no return to alcohol. Thank you for allowing me to share with that I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Monica, go ahead. Thank you, Christy. Good morning, everybody. My name is Monica. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And I just wanted to go in on that one sentence there that has, from a trembling, despairing, nervous wreck had emerged a man brimming over with self-reliance and contentment. And I just wanted to break down each of these words, the definitions of them. From a trembling, a fearing, and, or shaky, despairing, without hope, nervous wreck, a wreck, a mess. Wow, trembling, shaking, without any hope, nervous wreck. Can we relate to that? For sure. Had emerged, appeared, a man brimming over 
overflowing with self-reliance and contentment. Self-reliance, independence, making one owns judgment. You know, when I was in the food, I wasn't making my own judgment. The food was. And contentment, satisfaction, peace, serenity. I didn't have any of that in the food. It was miserable. It was dark. It was lonely. It was isolation. It was pain. It was fear. So here we see this guy go from one extreme to another. What a transformation. How much hope here. Look at this. And this is what we all can get if we accept the plan outlined in this book. Accept the plan outlined in this book and then take some actions, of course. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Thank you. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Will Deb W. please read A Vision for You? It's my pleasure. Good morning, A Vision for You. My name is Deb from Michigan. I'm a recovering compulsive overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Thank you, Deb. I will ask everyone to press star 1 to unmute so we can say the serenity prayer.